glad you're here this morning. I want to just take some time to talk a bit about uh, the kingdom of God. And uh, I, I used to think of the kingdom of God differently, but let me tell you a little bit about myself. I grew up in a small church in southern Oregon and uh, spent my whole life there growing up and then ended up landing in Southern California. And we've been in Thousand Oaks since 1993. I'm with the Conejo Valley Church there and uh, really enjoy the connection here with Pepperdine. But I used to think of the kingdom of God as just the things we sung about in the old hymns with the streets of gold and all these mansions, all these kinds of things. And it was kind of this, you know, pie in the sky, by and by when you die. And if you ever had a picture, in my head, it was fat baby angels and streets of gold, right? That's pretty much the kingdom of God. But then as I went through grad school and I thought more about these things and I really spent some time uh, thinking about what Jesus is saying, I've begun to see the kingdom of God very differently. And so I think it's important to start off with a definition. And so um, this, we'll come back to this a little bit later, but I want to start with this definition, a kingdom, or for the ladies, you can say queendom if that helps. I'm going to use kingdom through the entire class, um, but that doesn't mean it's all completely male dominated. But a kingdom or queendom is that place in which what the ruler wants done is done. So think about it. Wherever what you want done is done is actually your realm, your kingdom, your rule. And we can think of God in that way. We can think of uh, the kingdoms of the world in that way. We can think of a lot of different things as we have these clashing kingdoms. But when Jesus comes, what I've started to realize, and, and I was actually in a class with Dallas Willard years ago, where, where he said, someone pick up that red uh, form and read that for me. There's a red piece of paper out there somewhere. Here we go, a little participation. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So when John the Baptist comes in, we know that he is the precursor for Jesus. Jesus tells the disciples, Elijah has come, if you will accept it, meaning that it was John the Baptist who had come in advance. And this was his message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Then we go to the yellow form. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, away by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is come here. And I need to apologize. I realize I told you all those were short, and that one was not. So <laughs> thanks for picking that up. Um, but I want you to get that whole picture that Matthew comes in, and he's talking about uh, all the prophecies that Jesus fulfills again and again and again. And Matthew uses this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, rather than the kingdom of God. And I think that's a clue to us that Matthew is writing to a more Jewish audience. And so in deference to not using the name of God, he refers to the kingdom of heaven, or really in the Greek, it's the kingdoms, kingdom of the heavens. And so as Jesus comes along, he picks this up and Matthew says he's fulfilling what has been said from long ago from Isaiah the prophet that those who live in darkness have seen a great light. And from that point on, Jesus begins to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this Greek word that we translate has come near is really at hand. 
that it is here, it's right here, it's right now. So Jesus begins saying, as John the Baptist had said, here's the kingdom of God, it's coming, get ready for it. Someone pick up that green piece, please, and read that for us. So Mark says the same things. We have Matthew and Mark both telling us that Jesus begins his earthly ministry by saying, repent for the kingdom of God has come near or the kingdom of God is at hand. And he continues to go through with parables about the kingdom. And Jesus talks about the kingdom as though it's something that is right here, right now, that is in your midst, that has already come to you. And we get to Matthew chapters five through seven. And I know we've all kind of argued and messed with and tried to wrestle with what is Jesus saying in the Sermon on the Mount? And as I spent more time in the last 10 years, I've changed my view of this. And I'm, I'm beginning to agree with some of the scholars that I used to argue with. People like N.T. Wright and uh, Scott McKnight and uh, Dallas Willard who say that the, the Sermon on the Mount is actually the description of Jesus of what life lived in the kingdom of God looks like. And when you think about it in those terms, you think about the Beatitudes, the poor in spirit and all and the meek inheriting the earth and those who mourn are comforted. Think about the sense of if the kingdom of God is present within the church, within your congregation, do these things begin to happen? Are the persecuted lifted up and cared for? Are those who mourn comforted? There is no comfort for mourning without this relationship with God. I've often wondered how do people who do not know the Lord deal with loss and pain in their life? But those who are in relationship with God, think back to this definition that we'll pick up again, that a kingdom is the place in which what the ruler wants done is done. When people who mourn are comforted, it is God that wants this to be the thing that happens. And so God is in process and his kingdom is in place. We'll talk about that a lot more in a moment. But I want you to just think about this. We're going to move very quickly as a, a broad shot of scripture because quite often I think we tend to separate Paul and, and the gospels. And our heritage has done that extremely well. That we love Paul. We love the book of Acts. And yeah, Jesus, that was kind of the stuff before, but let's focus on Acts and then see what Paul has to say. And, and that's one of the only critique I really have personally of uh, men like Alexander Campbell. I love our heritage. And I love studying that. But to stand on Acts and Paul and almost forget what Jesus has done is forgetting that Paul is standing on, on Jesus' shoulders. And so we're going to move forward and see that Luke talks about this as well. And when Jesus comes in the Sermon on the Mount to what we know as the Lord's Prayer, we've heard this prayer of Jesus. And it's become more popular in the last few years to actually draw this in and think about it. And I think it's a wise thing because Jesus prays, you know this prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What's the next line? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us those that our, our sins and help us to forgive those who trespass against us. And he goes on and on through his prayer, but the heart of that prayer is this phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't think that was just a throwaway prayer. I don't, I don't think he's just being flowery. That's challenged me. And, and several years ago, I'll give you this one thing that, that has made a huge difference in my life. Uh, when I was in a class with Dallas Willard, someone asked him, okay, uh, Dr. Willard, what is the most powerful spiritual practice in your life? 
boy, I grabbed my pen. I was ready to write this down because <laughs> I thought there's going to be a jewel here. And, and he stopped his lecture and said, well, honestly, it's the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23. I pray through one or the other of those every morning when I wake up and every night when I go to bed. Okay, back to his lecture. And I was like, what? Wait, hang on a minute. We asked for a gem and you're giving us the Lord's Prayer in Psalm 23? And after I thought about that for a while, I thought, okay, I'm not going to go up and take him to task and say, come on, give me something real because I'm kind of out of place to do that. But I thought, maybe I should try that. So for the next year, after this course was over, I, I spent every morning, every night, praying through one or the other of those, the Lord's Prayer, Psalm 23, and they became profound in my life. And this concept of your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, has changed the way I see everything. And, and it has shaped the way I see my relationship with my wife and relationship with, with our church and the relationship with our, our community. And the way I see culture going on around the world and all the battles and everything that's happening in our culture right now, I see it differently because of this phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think Jesus was very, very intentional about that. Luke picks this up with the use of the word today. We're going to fly through these very quickly. But if you go back through this and look at how many times Luke uses the word today, He's bringing that urgency to the kingdom. He begins saying, today a Savior is born. I don't know about you. I just kind of threw that away when the angel said that. Woohoo! Of course, because it's his birthday. Yeah, let's move ahead. And he's going, no, right here, right now, there's a Savior now. This is not later on for you. And then Jesus begins reading and he shows up and says, from the book of Isaiah, the lame walk. All these people are blessed. I am here to bring the day of the Lord's favor. Today, this scripture is fulfilled. Jesus was saying the kingdom is here with me right now. And Luke uses this word today, meaning right now, this word is fulfilled as Jesus spoke it to them. And also, one more in Luke 19, after he spends time with Zacchaeus, he says to him, salvation has come to this house today. Just take a, some time to study the word today through the gospel of Luke. And you'll see over and over and over. He's trying to get us to see Jesus has brought the kingdom here now and it's present today. John picks this up and talks about through all of his writings uh, that the kingdom of God lives in the sense that kingdom life is abiding in Christ. He begins with that famous passage that you must be born again to enter God's kingdom. And he talks about the idea of baptism and being born again. And Nicodemus doesn't quite get it. But he's telling him the spirit moves the way that it moves. And you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. In, in Luke or in John chapter 8, he says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You're no longer under the rule of anything else but God. John is bringing the same image out. And he says in chapter 10, I've come to give them life and to give it abundantly, to have the fullest life they could possibly have. And so Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God coming now and changing the way we have, the way that we live, the way that we are, so that we can have everything that we need. And so we see that the Gospels clearly give this message that the kingdom of God has come near. This idea of the kingdom of God is at hand is the same phrase, the same wording that Jesus uses in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he says, wake up, stop sleeping, can't you see my betrayer is at hand. My betrayer has come near. That's the exact same phrasing, exact same wording in the Greek. 
as he says the kingdom of God has come near. And so I think we need to wrap our minds around the fact that the kingdom of God is not something we're waiting for long down the road. It's something that is present right here. And that's hard to understand because the world is still broken. And things aren't right. And horrible things happen all the time. How can the kingdom of God be present and we have this issue that's going on with Ukraine? How can the kingdom of God be present and we have theft all over the place? We have children being abused. How can the kingdom of God be present and all these things are broken? That's a great question that a lot of the world wrestles with. But in Mark chapter 9, Jesus tells them clearly this is coming. Truly I tell you, some are standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. And that's not a mistranslation of saying has come. He's really speaking in past tense. He's telling him it's not too long before you're going to see the kingdom of God already came. We need to wrestle with that and wrap our minds around what Jesus is actually saying. How does this work in my life? And then we go to Luke chapter 24 and he tells them, I'm going to send what the father promised, but stay right here until you've been clothed with power from on high. And we all know he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we understand what he meant when he said, unless I leave, the comforter can't come to you. It's better for you that I go away than if I stay with you. And as the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, things begin to change and Peter begins to, to speak and he pulls this, this prophecy from Joel from way back there, says, let me tell you what's going on. You know, they're looking at them going, these guys must be drunk because of all the things going on. And Peter says, are you crazy? We're all speaking in languages that are, are not our normal tongue, not because we're drunk. When's the last time you drank so much you started speaking Hungarian? You know, it doesn't happen that way. Here's what's happening. Listen to the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. That's what's happening right here, right now. The spirit of God is upon us. The kingdom has come. And he begins this great sermon in Acts chapter 2 that brings this great revival. And many people come to Jesus. So we see that the gospels and Acts are all about saying the kingdom of God is here. If you want to dive into this a little bit more, N.T. Wright has written a great book called how God Became King. And he walks through this really well. And I recommend that to you, How God Became King, by N.T. Wright. But then we go to Paul. And a lot of times we think that we've kind of shifted. And Paul has a higher theology and all these different things going on. I want to tell you, Paul stands squarely on the shoulders of Jesus. And if you'll spend time listening to Paul, you're going to hear echoes of the Sermon on the Mount. I think the Sermon on the Mount is the core of Jesus' teaching. I think that Jesus lays out everything there that we need to see and know, and he draws it to us. Not that it, it has every little detail. He doesn't really talk about baptism. He doesn't really talk about how to put together a church. He doesn't really talk about how to get out and change the world except the fact that the kingdom of God is here in the Sermon on the Mount. But Paul stands on the shoulders of that teaching and carries on. So in Ephesians, he talks about this was God's plan from the foundation of the world that we are predestined to bring about the praise and glory to God. That we are to be holy and blameless and to show God's sovereignty. That's a word that talks about God being in control and being king. 
that we are already, past tense, seated in the heavenly realm with Christ. There's something strange and spiritual and, and metaphysical that I can't quite understand, but Paul uses past tense that you have been raised up, that you are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. In Colossians, this great image, the book that gives us this huge picture of Jesus, that he was before all things, that he created all things and he holds all things together. And he goes on to say that we were given a share in the inheritance of God's kingdom. Again, past tense, we're given that here and now. We've been rescued from darkness and brought into the kingdom of his son. Paul is trying to lay this out again for those in Colossae to see that there's, this is not just some great little thing that you've done and you sit around and sing kumbaya and you're not really going to be going to the temple anymore. You're talking about Jesus. He says, no, this has changed everything. And you are now in a different kingdom. You have been forgiven and you have been raised. You have been hidden in Christ with God. Paul describes the difference between living in the kingdoms in chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. We're going to read through this, and I want you to listen, if you can, to try to pick up echoes of the Sermon on the Mount in Colossians 3, 1 through 17. I'm going to take you through all of those. And uh, um, I should have said this before. We're going to move through this material really quickly. Then I'm going to open for some questions and conversation at the end of this whole class time. So I hope that this is prompting something for you. But listen to Colossians 3, 1 through 17. It's one of those great passages where Paul begins to lay this out and echoes of the Sermon on Mount are all over this. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Do you get that sense of a kingdom of heaven has come? For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in this way of life, but you don't walk this way anymore. Are you picking up the sense that Paul is talking about? There is something that has happened and changed now, but there's also things that are coming later. The wrath of God is coming. It's not, he hasn't sent all judgment yet, but he's here. And there, there's this kind of tension we'll talk about in a few minutes. Verse eight, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. They do not belong in the kingdom of God. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other because you have taken off your old self with practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of the creator here there is no gentile jew circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian scythian slave or free but christ is all and in all do you hear echoes of the sermon on the mount that you must love one another and and give someone who asks for your cloak your tunic as well they ask you to go one mile, go two miles, take care of them, love each other, put off the old self because you're changed by your creator. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do you hear the Beatitudes coming out of this? Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You hear that kingdom language? It's not accidental. I think Paul's intentional. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The kingdom has come, and Paul is standing on the shoulders of Jesus saying this is what it's all about. And so... There's this theological term called realized eschatology that has become more real for me recently. And it simply means this, already but not yet. It's the concept that the kingdom of God has already come, but it's not been completely fulfilled. That's the best way I can possibly explain everything that's going on in the world right now. We have a really good friend who is struggling with cancer and it has been a difficult, difficult moment and her husband and her family have all been so faithful. I'm talking to her young daughters about how are we going to walk this road and the only way I can explain this to these girls or to anyone around me is that we live in the middle of the already but not yet. There will come a time, there will come a day when when God's kingdom will fully be realized and everything that is not of God will be wiped away but we're not there yet and yet... The kingdom of God has come so that we walk in it in this time, in this place, in this way, and try to do all we can to bring his kingdom to bear around us. That's what the Great Commission is all about. That's what everything in Scripture from the New Testament on is all about. That's what everything in the Old Testament was leading up to. As they said over and over, God said, I will be your God, you will be my people. And God's heart was broken when they said, but we want a king. And he said, you have a king. And I got to tell you, if you take an earthly king, it's not going to work out so well for you, but I'll give you what you want. And Jesus comes back in and says, the kingdom of God is here. If you'll choose to live in it, it'll change everything. And so we live in this idea of already, but not yet. It's present, but not fully realized. And then we have what I like to call a tale of three kingdoms. So there is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of Satan, or quite often, particularly in John, they call it the kingdom of the world. And then there's the kingdom of me. And we all know and understand this, particularly if you're a parent, you get this. There's no question. Think about it. When a child is born, he or she very quickly realize they are the center of the universe. As a little infant, like, I don't know who all these big people are, but all I have to do is cry and they come running, fill my every need. If I feel like something bad in my stomach, I just scream and cry, and they come give me food. If something's going on a little lower that's even worse, I just scream and cry. They come clean me up and take care of it. These people are here to serve me. This is wonderful. And they spend more time, and then they they learn to walk and talk, and they begin to communicate, and all of a sudden, they they realize, wait, whoa, 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 you're not serving me the way. And so they learn this word no, and we call them terrible twos. Because they think, this is my kingdom and you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And they begin to argue with us back and forth. And they each have their own little ruler. Everybody belongs to me. And then they go to elementary school and they're like, oh man, what is going on here? This teacher thinks she runs the place. The principal thinks he runs the place. Oh, And I've got this clash of my kingdom against your kingdom. They begin to see things don't always work the way I want them to. 
And as they grow up and get through grade school and get into, to, you know, mom and dad are pretty cool at that point, but then we get to adolescence that we call a second terrible twos, right? And all of a sudden, they're starting to think, wait a minute, I, I'm trying to figure out this kingdom stuff between mine and yours and mine and yours, but hey, you know, hey, what about you? Oh, now you're looking good. I'd like to kind of like make alliance with you. We could put our kingdoms together and see what happens here. You know, as they start to date and they start to see these things, but they start to realize that there's a lot more going on and there really is this kingdom of me. And I'm trying to decide who's going to make the rules for my kingdom. I used to want to do everything mom and dad wanted to do, but now I'm not so sure that they are actually all that wise. And I'm going to try to figure out who I'm supposed to be and how I'm going to run my kingdom. And we all have gone through this and we're still walking this road. But what we need to realize is that the kingdom of me, this physical kingdom, is always in subordination to the spiritual world. And there are two kingdoms at battle. And, and scripture is filled with talking about this. That there is an idea that a kingdom is that place in which what the ruler wants done is done. So think about it. In my life, wherever what God wants done is done, I am in line with the kingdom of God. But as soon as I step out and do what I want to do, that is contrary to the kingdom of God, I'm no longer walking in the kingdom of God. I'm stepping into the kingdom of me. And spiritually, if I step out of the kingdom of God, I'm stepping into the realm of the world or the realm of Satan. And that's everything that the evil one wants. Doesn't really care how we do it as long as we're taking that step out. And we need to think about this interplay of kingdoms in our life all the time because it's always there. That a kingdom is that place in which what the ruler wants done is done. And so when you're doing what God wants you to do, you're living under his rule and you're bringing the kingdom to bear. And that comes out of everything that, that Jesus and Paul talk about with loving each other, caring for others, bringing this about. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 6. We know this one well. And it's about this interplay of kingdoms. As he's closing out this great passage on the armor of God, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Listen to the kingdom and the battle language in this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And that's the reason he says, therefore, put on the armor of God. He's talking about an interplay of kingdoms. He's talking about a battle where, where the kingdom of me is trying to figure out what's going to rule in my life. And we really all, God, would you just come and change this place and make it better and take away the evil? And God goes, my decision is to do this one person at a time. And it is a grassroots movement of the kingdom of God that breaks all barriers. It breaks across all nations across all political parties, across all genders, across all nationalities. There are my people who are living in the midst of everyone bringing my kingdom to bear. And you need to decide whether you're going to be on board with that or whether you're going to be overwhelmed. Because my kingdom is here. And the time will come when I come back and I clear everything out that is not in my kingdom. But you're in my kingdom now if you choose to live there. 
A kingdom is that place in which what the ruler wants done is done. And so the question I constantly ask myself today, Lord, is your will being done? And it's not just a simple throw it off, you know, um, Bible class answer. It's not just a simple, you know, high from teen camp. Woohoo! It's, it's not just a flippant. It's a very serious question. Who's in control in my life here today? Am I a picture of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of me or something else? And the way I deal with people and the things that we do make a huge difference in this interplay of kingdoms. So that's all I want to share with you, but I'd like to kind of kick it around a little bit and see you know, what, what comes out. We've got 15 minutes left, so there you go. Have fun with that, yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, think it's such a healthy angle that you're taking with this, because usually when I personally, you know, hear that the phrase already, but not yet, you know, personally I cringe at that, because the reason why is because yeah. I usually think of it in terms of Matthew 24, 25, how much are we gonna throw on the left, how much are we gonna throw on the right, and all the debates that wage between predators and partial you know? Right. And, and, and the angle you're taking here is so amazing, Mm-hmm. And, and I was thinking about Joshua, you know, when God takes Joshua into this land and he says, man, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, we're going to pass them, you know, they're going to be gone. And you're going to take this land yeah. entirely from the Negev to the mountains to the sea to the river. You're going to take this land and leave nothing. And that makes no sense when you read it outside of the story. It doesn't make sense <laughs> until you bring it to your green square here. Yeah. And now I'm like, wow, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Every word that's in me must be his entirely. And now all of a sudden, already not yet, I'm not cringing at it. Yeah. You know, it's something that is like, wow, we need this. Right. You know, so I love this, man. Oh, thank you. It's been super helpful to me. And, and, and as I said, it's the only way I can make sense of crisis. Yeah. Because I can sit and say, okay, <laughs> we're, we're still in a broken world, but God's kingdom is here. How do I bring it to bear on this? What are we supposed to learn? What are we supposed to do? How am I the emissary of God in the midst of this hard time? Yeah. Cool. Yes. Yes, I appreciate it so much. And I so much hear Jesus saying, you can't serve two masters. Absolutely. Right? So here I am down here trying to determine, trying to figure out, trying to yield to one or the other. Right. I appreciate that so much. Right. Yeah. Oh man, it's yeah, it's and it's a constant challenge, and yet it's so such a blessing to just kind of go, okay, Lord, today I want to be in your kingdom. Let me do this. Let me do it right. And then I catch myself going, you jerk on the freeway, like, oh wait a minute. <laughs> you know, would Jesus say you're a jerk because you drive a Pri- drive a Prius? I mean, I don't know. He might, but but you know, I catch myself with those things that are still kind of these vestiges of I'm better than you, and I have to really wrestle with that. But it's a great, great. Way to go at this. Can't serve two masters. Everything is under the kingdom of God, or nothing is. Yeah. And it's today, the busier, the more time goes, the busier we get. But where's God in the picture? Yeah. Yeah, if you're not really, really lining up with what He has called you to do and wants you to be. And the other thing this does, which is freeing for me, is it doesn't matter what your gifts or your skills or your ability or your job is, 
How do you do this in a way that brings glory to the king? You know, how, how can you be, like, sometimes, I don't know, there, there are these plumber commercials, the ones that stick out in my mind, you know, um, we have the smell good plumber around here. You're like, well, this guy smells good. And so you want to show up and have a smell good plumber. And I'm like, well, what about a plumber that actually walks in your house and has the aroma of Christ? Wouldn't that make a bigger difference? And someone who you know, yeah, I could charge you $150 for this, but you know what? It only took me 10 minutes. So let me charge you 45. You know, let me cut you a deal. Not because I'm cutting you a deal, but because it's right. Someone who lives that way is going to find, they'll find more work, more kinds of, and you know, you use these gifts, these abilities, and these skills in a way that honors Christ because you live in his kingdom, not because it's just the right thing to do. It's a different ethic. God's a part of everything I have. All the gifts I've been given are truly, as James says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights. And we need to use these for the benefit of his kingdom present now. So that when someone asks, you know, why do you do it that way? It's not because, well, my church says I should. It's because, no, I, I really believe that God's in process with me here and in process with you. And I want to do everything I can to not get in his way because he rules and I follow him. I think those are really important kind of phrases to think through. Anybody else, comments or questions? Yeah. John 17 said we're in the world but not of the world. Absolutely. And again, I love those, yeah. You're on earth, this isn't heaven. As you know, we're going to be right there. This world is not my home. Right. You know, that was a good old song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said in Boston, set your affection on things above, not up here. So we're living here. And God knows, and Jesus said, you're going to have trouble. Right. Right. Yeah, and that's that kingdom tension. You talk about when when uh, Jesus says, "In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart; I've overcome the world." Yes. With the wrong perspective, we look at that and go, "Well, he was just wrong. He's not overcome the world. It, it's broken all around us." From the right kingdom perspective, he says, "Look, the victory is already won." You need to hang on and bring this kingdom in as best you can in the midst of all the brokenness. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. It's that kingdom already not yet kind of thing. And we are empowered to be the ones that bring the kingdom to bear on this place. It's exactly where we are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And this is where back to Psalm 23 and the Lord's Prayer. The Psalm 23 has been, been so much more meaningful for me. Amen. I, I mean, I, I remember my father died when I was 13 years old. And I remember reading Psalm 23 because he was, you know, he would read that to me and different things. But but it was kind of like this nice little psalm. But when I started spending time and really I couldn't get past the first several months as I prayed these through, I had a hard time getting past that first part. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Wait a minute. How do I get past that? 
because I'm wanting more stuff and bigger kingdoms and, and more things and more respect and more all the time. And I had to reshape and rethink and it still works on me. And so when I pray, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Okay, I've got good things. He makes me lie down with still waters. Okay. He restores my soul. Now we're getting somewhere. Because he remakes me so that I'm no longer living in this place of I want, I want, I want, I want. I'm more able to be content, which is what Paul said. Again, Paul talks kingdom all the time. I've learned to be content in every situation. And he's standing on the shoulders of Jesus saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. It's not about getting stuff. It's about finding that place where you're content with what God has made you to be. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in want. He provides everything for me. And in my life, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help me to walk that. It's all kingdom business. And I think for me, I needed to reframe. Maybe I'm really behind the curve and you're already there. You know, that'd be awesome. And I'm talking to people who are like, yeah, come on, idiot, get up with us. But it's been a transformational thing the last 15 years for me to rethink this and come at it this way. Any other thoughts or questions? We just have a couple more minutes. Mm. It speaks volumes. <laughs> Be still and know that I am God. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I was just thinking about you know, how sometimes the kingdom of Satan tries to make an alliance with the kingdom of me. Absolutely. To tell me, you know, well, why is it right in this really working way it should be? You know, why is it? And Satan is telling me. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so it makes you kind of depressed to say, well, you know, why, why, why are I, I don't understand why God isn't doing what, you know. Yeah. And to say you put that in. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But you're going to be successful if you make that alliance with the kingdom of God. Absolutely. Because God is just pushing you forward. Yeah, you're going to go through some stuff. Yeah. But God is pushing you forward. Yeah. And you're speaking my language. I mean, I'll, one second, I'll get to you, but. This is where I live. Okay, this is going to be a little more transparent than you probably want me to be this morning. But I'm a guy who was in youth ministry for almost 30 years in Southern California. Okay? And so I have loved shaping and drawing junior high and high school kids along. And, and I was connected with Pepperdine University. And I was pushing hard to try to help Pepperdine move toward more ministry training. And then the word came out that, hey, we're going to hire somebody that'll come in and do a lot of youth ministry stuff and get things going. I'm like, I've been here for 30 years. Let's do this. I'm excited. I'll be glad to help you with that. Let's get it going. And the guy we're bringing in is Jeff Walling. I have nothing against Jeff, but that was a major shot to my pride. And I had to step back and go, whose kingdom is this? Whose kingdom is this? Because... Jeff had a lot of things I don't have. But I had a lot of things that Jeff didn't understand because he hadn't been on the West Coast for years. And I really had to dial back my pride and fight against that. And it was the wrong voice calling me saying, you deserve, you deserve, you deserve. 
the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Man, those are in conflict right there. Absolutely, to be transparent with you. And that, that's a real, real struggle that we all kind of have to go through. Yeah? I appreciate the way you share that because uh, oftentimes messages we hear seem to be only future tense oriented. Mm. And what this does is causes it to be past, present, and future. Exactly. In God's kingdom. Especially going back with what you talked about, when God said, I am your king. Why, yeah. why do you want another? And I love that David always calls himself a prince. Right. Um, only when he's messing up, I think, does he ever call himself king, whenever he's looking <laughs> sin. And uh, um, so I, I, I like what John says in Revelation 1 when he's mm. doing his prayer before he gets into his visions. He says this, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God, and honor to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Yeah. That blesses it. That, that tense blesses our message so much that we are, you talked about the kingdom of God being at hand, it's tangible. Yeah. We, we can touch it and be a part of it. And we so forward look forward to what the future is going to be like, but because of our future, we are living in, in an amazing reality now. Right. Like Thank you. Right. And it makes a difference. There, there are no little churches. There are no little churches. I mean, they are all little points of the kingdom of God. And so, like, in, in Thousand Oaks, we've got probably, should we call it a thousand churches? There are so many churches there. They're just three miles from our churches, Calvary Community Church. Massive, big, super people on stage doing, you know, Broadway production things every Sunday. Then there's the Caneo Valley Church of Christ. Acapella, doing what we're doing, loving what we're doing. Then there's the... Uh, a Baptist church where I've got really good friends. Then there's a first Christian church where I've got really, but each has this different kind of personality. And I just step back and go, could all these be little beachfronts of the kingdom of God? Because there are people who would walk into Conejo and go, where's your band? I need noise in a band. Calvary's right down the road. And in the last 10 or 15 years, I have had friends in ministry in all these different places who all of a sudden had epiphanies about baptism. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> Let's walk this road together. And, and there are going to be people who are coming to us because they love this acapella and they love the things we're doing with kids and children and families. There are going to be people who are going to you because they're looking for a, a recovery ministry that you're offering with professionals that we don't have on staff. And I'm like, okay, God is working in all of these things and I have no longer been more comfortable with sectarianism where I grew up. And I love our heritage. I am restorationist to the core, but I'm restoring the kingdom of God, not the church of Christ. Please hear me clearly in that. I'm not against anything, but I think if we start putting up little beachfronts and drawing lines and trying to divide the kingdom of God, God is saying it's a grassroots movement breaks through all of these. I've got people everywhere. Are you one of them is the question. Anyway, I can start preaching a different sermon and I don't want to do that. Um, well, let me close this time in prayer. Thank you so much for being here. Let's pray together. Father God, you are Lord and King. And whether we believe that or follow that or not, it's still true. So Lord, my greatest prayer is help us to line up with you. Help us to be what you've called us to be and allow us to be truly faithful, useful members in your kingdom. And however that works out, God, is up to you. Help us to be good with it and to follow and to do exactly what you've called us to do and be who you've called us to be. 
May you be glorified by our lives. And may we be able to stand with you and knowing fully and completely that we'll be with you forever. That's all I want, Lord. When it's over, can we be with you? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you.